Aging Matters on WERA is brought to you in part by Synergy Home Care. Synergy Home Care provides premier in-home care for you or your loved one throughout Northern Virginia, including personal care, homemaker services, companion and memory care, and transportation. Call 703-558-3435 or visit SynergyHomeCare.com for more information. Synergy Home Care will find a care solution to meet your needs. Good afternoon and welcome to Aging Matters on Arlington Independent Media's community radio station, WERALP Arlington, 96.7 FM. I'm Cheryl Beversdorf, your host. Falls are the leading cause of fatal and non-fatal injuries for older Americans. The risk of falls increases proportionately with age and can threaten safety and independence for older adults. Falls can also generate economic and personal costs. Studies have shown, however, that falls can be prevented or substantially reduced through lifestyle adjustments and exercise programs. My guests today are Dr. Sarah Papa, coordinator of the Northern Virginia Falls Prevention Alliance at Marymount University, and Dr. Jade Bender Burnett, lecturer at the Marymount University Malik School of Health Professions. They're both going to talk about causes and risk factors associated with fall-related injuries among older adults, and then they'll be discussing types of exercise programs available to prevent injury and death due to falls. So welcome, Dr. Papa and Dr. Bender Burnett, and thanks for joining me today. It's great to be here. Thank you for having us. We're excited to share this information with our listeners. Well, I know you two have a lot to say, so we're going to get started right away. So, Sarah, let's let's get started with you. Give us an overview of falls. First of all, is falling an unavoidable result of aging? Well, that's a great question, Cheryl. A lot of people think that it is, and they think that you know they're older as either they're getting older or as their uh, you know friends and relatives are getting older. That that means there's going to be a fall. The good news is we do know that most falls are preventable. Uh, It's not just an unavoidable or inevitable result of aging. Uh, You know, what we do know, unfortunately, is if we do fall and we're older, um, those falls are more dangerous, right? So we know that um, falls are the leading cause of injury, um, both fatal and non-fatal injuries for older adults. Um, so that's why prevention um, is so important. And again, the good news is we do know that we can prevent most falls. So let's tease that out a little bit. How common are falls? What is the impact of falls? And let's talk about the cost. I'm assuming sure. that if somebody's older, they more likely to be hospitalized. What would you tell us? Sure. So the data shows us that this data is a little bit different, but it's one one in three or even one in four, depending on the data source that you look at. Um, adults over the age of sixty-five fall each year, right? So so that's a, a huge percentage of people who um, who do fall. Uh, we know that just in the United States, we spend over fifty billion dollars a year. 
uh, on healthcare costs related to falls in older adults. Um, the average cost for hospitalization is about $14,000. Um, and we know that there are over 800,000 hospitalizations each year in the United States due to falls. So, you know, unfortunately, um, again, one in three old, over the age of 65, you know, is gonna fall. Um, those falls are expensive. Um, the hospitalization is expensive, and it, it really is a huge um, cost to our healthcare system. You mentioned a little bit before about the risk of, of falls in older adults. It, can you tell us a little bit more? Why is the risk of falls so prevalent for older adults? So really, it comes down to some of those um, physical changes that happen as we get older, uh, right? We have decreased balance. Um, our muscles get weaker. Uh, perhaps our reaction time slows down um, a little bit. Um, you know, there are some intrinsic things, some extrinsic things, things like um, your vision. Um, perhaps um, sometimes medications that we take could impact our risk for a fall. Um, things around our house like throw rugs, loose carpeting, clutter. Um, and even when we're outside, um, you know, slippery surfaces, things like that. Um, so it really comes down to those physical changes um, that I mentioned earlier that uh, really do increase that risk as we get older. And you uh, gave us a nice segue into my next question for Dr. Bender Burnett about vision and hearing. So Dr. Bender Burnett, how can problems with vision and hearing and, and issues affecting balance, tell us a little bit more about how they can be risk factors for falls. Absolutely. The human body uses three systems to keep balance. We use our vision to see, our vestibular system to maintain our equilibrium and respond to movements, and proprioception, which is just a fancy term for where our joints are and where they're telling we are in space. At any time, we can keep balance so long as two of these three systems are working. But as we age, our vision and vestibular inputs are reduced. And if we don't stay active, we can lose ankle range of motion and have decreased proprioceptive input. These changes can lead to an increased risk for falling in the older adult. All right, so we've talked about vision and hearing. What about low blood pressure? So when blood pressure is too low to adequately pump oxygenated blood to our brain, our body responds by causing us to feel dizzy or lightheaded in an attempt to get us to sit or lie down. We can also experience syncope or fainting as it's known, which results in a fall if we're upright when the syncopal event occurs. And I'm sorry, what was that term, syncope? Can you tell us what that is? Syncope is the fancy word for fainting. Ah, okay. So, and of course, a lot more older adults are likely to have low blood pressure, do you think? Is that what you've seen? They may have low blood pressure, though in America, there is an alarmingly high rate of high blood pressure as well. And so sometimes it can be the fact that they may be over-medicated and that can lead into a side effect where the blood pressure dips too low because of a medication regime that's not ad adequately adjusted. Okay, well, let's talk more about the multiple medications. Dr. Bender Burnett, the, is, is that sometimes a, a factor and side effects? Uh, what have you seen? What can you tell us about how that can impact, that situation can impact on falls? Absolutely, Cheryl. Polypharmacy, or as you said, multiple medications, is a problem for many older adults. 
Related to falls, though, the compounded side effects of taking multiple medications could increase the risk of falling for older adults. And some of these adverse effects include imbalance, dizziness, decreased attention or poor safety awareness and judgment, as well as specific mobility deficits, uh, less muscle strength in the legs. And we can also have increased frequency of voiding. Voiding? What is voiding? Needing to go to the bathroom. Okay. I, I of course, know those terms, because having been in nursing for many years, but uh, uh, sometimes we have to share those terms with our listeners. And I, I've also wondered, just as a side question about multiple medications, can the fact that an older adult might be seeing more than one physician uh, exacerbate the situation? Uh, with the patients because one doctor doesn't know that they're on another medication and this kind of thing. Have you seen that? Absolutely, Cheryl. That is why it is imperative that anyone who's seen multiple practitioners provide a detailed medication list so that all practitioners know what medications are involved. All right. Well, Let's talk a little bit about injuries. We've now talked about some of the causes uh, or the the situations that that may uh, make falls more likely. But once falls occur, what are the most common injuries that occur amongst older adults when they fall? Dr. Bender Burnett. Well, at least 20% of falls do lead to serious injury in the older adult, as Sarah mentioned earlier. Hip fracture is the most common injury among older adults who fall, but other injuries that can occur are wrist fractures, head injury, and even potentially spinal cord injury. While it may not be a visible injury, another really common insult after a fall is the onset of this fear of falling, which honestly can be the most limiting factor because it can drive an individual to limit their activity and develop further weakness and balance deficits which then is a vicious cycle that puts them further at risk for falling. All right. Well, Dr. Papa, what are the short-term physical outcomes that can occur as a result of a fall? Obviously, Dr. Bender Burnett talked about the common injuries, but how does that impact on the older adult? Yeah, what we, what, what we really see in the short term for in terms of physical outcomes, um, you know, or is that injury, uh, which could, of course, cause a potential loss of work time um, for both the older adult as well as perhaps a family member um, who's, you know, going to be giving some care to that person, uh, reduced quality of life. Um, you know, it really just depends, you know, obviously on the extent of the injuries, uh, but that person might have to limit their activities. Um, again, they might lose some time from work. Um, and of course, this can really impact, you know, their quality of life and their sense of independence. And can that also affect even how they get around the house, especially if they're by themselves, uh, I'm thinking of people who aren't working anymore. Mm-hmm. What what kind of outcomes might occur? Sure, sure. Especially, you know, as you can imagine, if they have stairs in their home, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that could impact their ability to go up and down the stairs. Um, if they have stairs leading into their home. Um, you know, really, that's why, you know, a lot of times we see, um, you know, older adults making some of those home modifications that can help them to live on one floor, the main floor of their home. Um, you know, if they're trying to stay in a home, um, that that is something that, you know, they're going to have to think about. 
because it could absolutely, and, and even their ability to drive, right? They might not be able to drive for a while after a fall. So that, that could um, you know, impact their ability to do that as well. And then expanding a little bit more, I would assume that it could also affect the caregiver. Uh, they may have to increase their responsibilities or you might have to get more services than even then the family. So it sounds like it's not only just affecting the older adult themselves, but everybody who is kind of in their sphere of living. That's right. And they might, you know, if they don't have a friend or relative nearby that can do that, you know, they may have to incur the cost of, of a home caregiver um, who might have to come in and might have to come in more than, um, you know, more than they would want. Uh, but in order for them to, you know, get through some of their activities of their daily living, uh, they might need some assistance for a while. How about mental and social issues? We talked about the physical, but there probably are uh, a lot of different kinds of issues in terms of the whole uh, realm of, of wellness. Sure. And, and I, yeah, and I touched on a couple of those. Um, you know, as we know, if, if we have an injury, uh, we may not want to go out as often. We might not be able to go out as often. And of course, with COVID, this, you know, these things are a little bit different now anyway, in terms of, uh, you know, going out and doing social things. But, um, you know, that loss of independence, uh, which could have a big impact on, um, you know, somebody's mental state, um, you know, could increase feelings of social isolation. Uh, you know, they may have that fear of falling again, and so that might severely limit what they're willing and able to do. Um, so we do see, you know, some potential long-term uh, mental and social issues with a fall, um, you know, again, related to that, you know, potential disability, loss of independence, um, and loss of being able to, um, you know, go out and be social. Dr. Papa, thank you for bringing that up in terms of the mental and social issues, and especially during COVID. We've been in COVID now for, wow, over seven months. Yes. In your capacity of working with the Northern Virginia Falls Alliance, I and you're going to talk a little bit more about that uh, a little bit later, but in, uh, in talking with your peers about what the impact has been on, on older adults, is, have falls been a, a, a situation that has, has increased during COVID? What, what have you heard? Yeah, it's probably a little, I, I have not, certainly I have not heard that. Um, it may be a little too early to know if the data, you know, the healthcare data for falls is, if we're going to see a tick up in that. Uh, but it's it's likely because we know, we know that most homes, sorry, most falls do happen in the home. Um, and so if we're spending more time in our home, it would make sense that perhaps the number of falls um, has increased. Um it's, it's a little too early to know that. I do know that most of our partners um, on the alliance, you know, we have all kind of shifted or, you know, the word is pivoted and we're trying to offer, um, you know, more programming um, virtually to older adults, um, it, you know, in an effort to keep them engaged. Um, but again, it will be interesting, you know, over the next six to 12 months to watch that data and see if we do see an uptick in the number of falls. Yeah, because I'm thinking, you know, you you both have been in the business of falls for a long time, and it seems like everything is changing now 
with the impact of COVID. So since this is such an important issue for, for older adults, I was also wondering, Dr. Papa, about the long-term concerns older adults may face. Uh, we've sort of talked about the, the immediate, the short-term, and that. Uh, what, what happens on the long-term for people who have fallen? It really does depend sort of on the nature of their injuries and how serious they were. Uh, but, you know, it could mean, um, you know, not being able to live in their own home anymore, right? They may need to move to um, a different living arrangement, whether that be with a, a family member or perhaps um, into an assisted living facility. Uh, you know, it really depends on what their housing situation is. Uh, you know, we, we mentioned earlier about, you know, being able to navigate stairs safely, um, you know, what type of a, even the shower, right? We, we even talk about, you know, having that step in shower as opposed to having to step over a bathtub. Um, so really, you know, it's, it's that independence, um, that perhaps feelings of social isolation. And then, um, you know, the other big thing, of course, is just that their housing situation. Well, and that's a good segue into my next question. Older adults sometimes live in apartments or condominiums or in houses, detached or uh, townhouses. Dr. Papa, talk about the rooms and the areas. You've kind of mentioned it off and on, but let's just really focus so people can kind of give a view of of their own home, of where the falls might occur. Well, and so a fall could occur anywhere in the home. Uh, They most often happen in the bathroom or the kitchen. Um, So when you think about your bathroom, uh, you know, you think about perhaps a slippery surface, uh, whether that be inside the tub or shower, or even if there's some water outside the tub or shower. Um, Sometimes that throw rug, um, and that could be a rug in the bathroom or anywhere in in your home. Um, you know, we talk to people about throw rugs and loose carpeting as kind of being no-nos in terms of falls prevention. Um, and then we talk to people about clutter, uh, lighting, you know, making sure that they have clear pathways. Um, in the kitchen, um, you know, again, there could be some spilled water or liquid on the floor, which could cause a slippery surface. Uh, but also, you know, reaching for high objects. Uh, if someone's trying to get something off of a top shelf, um, and they may not have um, sturdy footing or they might not have, you know, a, a sturdy step stool to use. Uh, that can also be, you know, a, obviously a risk for a fall um, in the kitchen. But let's think about the rest of the house, too. Can you slip uh, or trip over the ottoman or can you fall because you forgot to pick up your clothes and hang them up or something <laughs> like that? I, I would assume that sure. in, in reality... Every room has its own problems. Would you agree? Absolutely. Absolutely. Every room has potential um, for a trip hazard. Uh, You mentioned a couple things. You mentioned the ottoman. Uh, We've talked, we talk about clutter, Um, even a small pet or even a toddler or a baby on the floor, Um, you know, cat or a small dog. Uh, can cause a, a risk. Um, hand railings, um, grab bars in the bathroom and hand railings perhaps on the stairs that are loose um, or even stairways that are slippery uh, that might not have a skid surface or carpeting on them. Um, so you're absolutely right. A fall could happen in any room of the home. 
Um, and so when we when we're out in the community and we're talking to people, we do we do have a handout that sort of takes people through room by room through their house um, and points out things for them to look for um, in terms of things that could potentially be a trip hazard. And how could people get that handout? So that handout is actually, uh, it's on our website, which is novafallsprevention.com. It's actually a CDC brochure that can also be accessed on the CDC's website. Uh, But absolutely, our website, novafallsprevention.com, under resources, has a copy of that brochure. And they can just print it off? Yes, Yes. And it's nice. It's, it's kind of like, it's an, it's a checklist. And so literally in the kitchen, there's a few things and you just can check it right off. You know, I, I usually recommend that people um, go through it with a friend or family member and, you know, think of things that they can do to improve the situation if needed. I've also heard, and I had a guest on my show actually several years ago who talked about um, people, not necessarily older adults, but it could be, who are hoarders. And that with so much stuff, as we say, around the house, that that can also be a cause of falls. Have you seen that also? Yep, that's absolutely um, increases a risk for a fall. Um, I think I I mentioned clutter earlier, right? And so, of course, the hoarding example is, you know, just obviously too much stuff and clutter and other things. Uh, But, you know, anytime you have um, anything on the floor, even you, you know, you walk in your home, you take off your shoes and you leave them by the front door, right? Or you leave them somewhere, you're on the couch and you take your shoes off and you leave them off to the side of your, of your armchair, right? Even that, then you forget that you put them there. Um, So it's really just, um, you know, it could be anything, uh, but you're right. Hoarding is definitely uh, an issue for, from a falls prevention standpoint. Okay, well, now we've covered the inside of the house. Let's talk about outside. Obviously, even if people live in apartments, that might be a factor. But uh, talk about what the factors are that might cause an older adult to fall outside the home, Dr. Papa. Sure. So uh, one of the first things I always talk to people about is, you know, think about the shoes that you're wearing, right? Make sure that you're wearing shoes that fit properly and are designed for the activity that you're going to be doing. Um, You know, if you're walking, make sure you have shoes that are appropriate for walking. Um, So outside the home, we think about the stairs, stairways, and railings, making sure that there is a railing on, on any set of stairs that you might need to go up or down. Um, icy or wet pavement, right? We, we've had some rain here in our area recently, um, and we're moving into the winter months. So slippery surfaces, icy surfaces, um, uneven pavement, uh, just walking, you know, either your driveway or your sidewalk, um, checking for that uneven pavement or things that could be on the, on the ground. Um, and then rushing, like, you know, those crosswalks, right, that we have to cross if we are out walking, we have to cross a, a street. Uh, you know, we're only given so much time to get across that street. Um, and so sometimes people feel like they have to rush to get across that street. And so they might trip in doing that, or even when they get to the other side, and they have to step up on a curb. Uh, that's another thing that could potentially, um, you know, be a risk for a fall. I would suspect, too, if they're getting into a car, uh, that sometimes 
trying to get in and into sure. a car on passenger or driving, that could be a possibility as well. And yep. And the other thing I would just, well, just as you were mentioning the car, I was thinking about, you know, even public transportation, exactly. um, getting off and on a bus um, and, and navigating a metro station, right? Navigating those stairs and the escalators and, you know, getting on and off the train. Um, so absolutely, um, modes of transportation are also um, things that we need to think about. All right. Well, we're going to take a short break right now for an important message. First of all, we are listening to Dr. Sarah Papa, coordinator of the Northern Virginia Falls Prevention Alliance at Marymount University, and Dr. Jade Bender-Burnett, lecturer at the Marymount University Malik School of Health Professions. And you are listening to WERALP Arlington, Virginia, 96.7 FM. We'll be right back. Aging Matters is brought to you in part by Kathy Corridan, Senior Real Estate Specialist. Kathy is a realtor with KW Metro Center in Alexandria and works with seniors in Alexandria, Arlington, and D.C. to make selling their home and moving less stressful and more successful. More information is available at 703-971-7237 or C-C-A-T-K-W at gmail.com. Welcome back. We are talking today with Dr. Sarah Papa, coordinator of the Northern Virginia Falls Prevention Alliance at Marymount University, and Dr. Jade Bender-Burnett, lecturer at the Marymount University Malik School of Health Professions. And we're talking about the importance of falls. And obviously, the first part of our program was what are the causes and where does it happen? So, Dr. Bender-Burnett, what I'd like to find out from you is, even though all of these measures that we're taking to prevent falls, sometimes it may occur. So in the event that an older adult falls at home or elsewhere, what are the immediate actions that they should take to minimize injury? And I would add to that question, what should other people, if somebody sees somebody who falls, what should they do? I think that's equally as important because that can happen out in public or even at home. Absolutely, Cheryl. I agree with you. As a physical therapist, I always ask my client to attempt to remain calm and try to do a full body scan before they attempt to move after a fall to check and see if there might be any bleeding or pain present. You know, I think our initial response as humans and as helpers is to get the person back up on their feet as soon as possible. Um, But it's really important that we first identify if the person who's fallen has sustained a serious injury or any injury. Uh, If there is a serious injury, we may need to call 911. Uh, And to your your point of having, you know, the person, the the bystander, what, what do they do? It is really important that if there is a serious injury that has occurred, that we be able to identify it and give that person an opportunity if they're able to, to share it. Because someone with a suspected head injury or a neck injury is going to need some stabilization provided by emergency medical response teams before they're moved to prevent any potentially irreversible damages. 
And if the person doesn't have pain or a suspected injury, the person who's fallen, then they can attempt to get up slowly with assistance if needed or on their own. And one of the things that I always do with my patients is that, you know, I teach them how to get up from a fall given their specific set of abilities and limitations. That's one of the things we do in physical therapy. And it's also really important to know that if you have fallen and you're not sure what to do or you don't know how to get up, it is okay and appropriate to call a first responder for assistance to get up after a fall. Ultimately, what we want to be sure that our listeners hear is that if you've sustained a fall, it's really important that you notify your doctor for many reasons, some of which, you know, if you're on a medication such as a blood thinner, you may not recognize any immediate impairment or injury after a fall, but being on a blood thinner can increase your likelihood for having a slow bleed in the head or in the brain, which could be undiagnosed. And so it may be a situation where you fall in the evening when you're more tired, uh, you don't think anything's wrong, you go ahead to bed for the evening, and then you know you either wake up with some sort of impairment or you wake up not feeling right. And if you hadn't told anyone about that fall, um, there's a potential where you could actually have you know, a bleed in, internally and not know it. And so it's important that if you fall for any reason, to notify your doctor and then follow the directions for how they'd like you to proceed. That's such good advice. I, I, I think that all of us, when if we fall, we're so embarrassed about it that we just we don't want anybody to help. We want to just quickly get back up and and oh, I'm fine, I'm fine. And unfortunately, that's just not the case. And goodness knows, folks may not even want you to call nine one one, but. From what you're telling us, it sounds like it's really important maybe that uh, 911 is called just to make sure a person is okay. Would you, would you agree? I'm just sort of reinforcing what you're saying. I think that it's important to first have the individual, if they're able to, identify how they're feeling. Okay. You know, if, if they're not suspecting that there is a life-threatening emergency, then the non-emergency number could be called as well to get that assistance with help getting up. Um, but again, I would say the primary follow-up if you don't suspect injury is to call your doctor because your doctor will have influence on what happens next based on your whole overall medical condition. All right. Well, Dr. Papa, you had mentioned and, and I had brought it up because I'm familiar with the Northern Virginia Falls Prevention Alliance. So tell us a little bit more about what what is the mission, who are its members, what do you do in this community? Yeah, it's, it's great. I'm, I always love the opportunity to talk about the Alliance. Um, so at Marymount University back in 2016 received um, a two-year grant from the Administration for Community Living. And then we received a second grant in 2018 for an additional three years um, to implement some of our work around falls prevention. Um, and so what we're doing is we're trying to increase um, access and the number of evidence-based falls prevention programs that are out in the community. Uh, we want to work towards, um, you know, encouraging organizations to conduct falls risk screenings. Uh, we do a lot of education out in the community about falls and falls prevention. Um, and we also advocate for falls prevention uh, legislation, regulations, and policies as, as needed. Um, we're sort of the community coalition side of falls prevention here in Northern Virginia. Um, the, the alliance itself is made up of over 
100 individuals, um, some people just representing themselves. Maybe they um, are just interested in, as a community volunteer, working towards um, an awareness of falls prevention. Uh, we also have a lot of professionals. We have um, home care agencies. We have physical therapists. We have um, injury prevention folks from the hospital systems. We have people who work in uh, parks and recreation, people who work at uh, senior and community centers. Um, so it's a, it's a and, and of course, academics as well. Um, and some people from AAAs, local government. Um, it's just, it's a nice group of folks who, you know, we come together, we meet quarterly, our meetings are open to anyone. Um, we, we generally try to have a professional development segment um, or some sort of informational presentation. And then really the, the majority of our meetings are networking and kind of sharing with each other, what are you doing for falls prevention? And, um, you know, hey, you're going to have an event. Can we come? Can we assist? Um, so it's, it's a great opportunity for, um, you know, people from different walks of life and different sectors out there in the community uh, to come together and work on this, on this common health topic. And if somebody out there who's listening right now would be interested in having a presentation, uh, are you doing things virtually or are there organizations within the Alliance that are doing these presentations and, or if they wanted to get in touch with you, uh, uh, what, what would that uh, address be? Sure. So they just the same website that I mentioned earlier, which is novafallsprevention.com. Um, there's a section on our website that talks about the Alliance, talks about we, we have a list of our members. Uh, we have links to a lot of their websites, um, information on our meetings. Uh, and then there's also a speakers bureau form. So if somebody was interested in a presentation, they could just go onto that website and fill out that form. Uh, we would get notified immediately. And yes, to answer your question, we, we are now doing lots of virtual presentations. Um, I, I did several back in September during uh, Falls Prevention Awareness Week. We had several of our members, um, hey, we'd like to do a, a you know, hour-long Zoom session or on another platform, um, just community talk on falls prevention. And so um, we did do several of them, of those, and we love to get out into the community. And if it's over Zoom, then that's fine. Um, you know, it's nice because we can have a conversation um, and really connect with folks. Great. Well, you've got the information and uh, I'm sure people will be getting in touch. So Dr. Bender Burnett, you uh, heard Dr. Papa talk about evidence-based programs because we want to get more into, so how can we prevent? What kinds of exercise programs? So first of all, explain what does the term evidence-based programs mean and, and how does it apply to falls? Okay, so evidence-based programming uh, is a term that's used to distinguish a program that has been found to be valid and reliable based on research. Uh, and certainly with our students at Marymount University, we're always providing evidence-based programming education. It's where we tell them to focus most of their strengths. Uh, and in 2010, the CDC adopted the Otago Exercise Program for Falls Prevention in the United States because the research had demonstrated that older adults who completed the program had a 40% reduction in falls. And so, I think it's important to identify that, you know, physical therapists are trained to assess balance, they are trained to assess fall risk, and they are trained to implement the right type of treatment program that can help people reduce their falls risk. But every physical therapist that 
sees older adults may not be trained in the current latest research supported programming for older adults. And so with Otago, we really are able to be assured through the support of research that this program is what could be best for some older adults as it could reduce their risk of falling by 40%. So let's hear more about the Otago exercise program. Are there certain older adults who are more likely to benefit from this program or would everybody? Let's hear more about uh, this exercise program. Okay. So the Otago exercise program is a program that has been around uh, for quite some time. And it was developed actually in New Zealand at the University of Otago. And so when I mentioned that in 2010, the CDC stamped its approval on Otago, they really went back, looked at the research, said, this is great for us. Unfortunately, in New Zealand, the physio was actually able to go into the home daily and carry out this program with the individual for 365 days. Uh, so that is wonderful, but that is not the healthcare system model that we have here in the United States. So the CDC did modify the exercise program while still maintaining its validity. And we do have research that shows that, you know, the US version of Otago does still reduce falls. Uh, and so I do wanna make that clear that this was not developed in the United States, this was developed in New Zealand, but it is an exercise program for older adults who are at risk for falling. And you know, to your point of who are the best you know, candidates for this program or who are those older adults that this will really work well for, what we've identified is that Otago is right for anyone who is 65 and older who has had a decline in function. And, and decline in function is a very broad term, but it could be someone who notices, hey, you know, I'm having a harder time getting up out of my chair. Right, I'm having to really push with my arms and I didn't used to do that. Or I notice that by the end of the day, I'm really you know, tired and it feels like I'm tripping or slipping more often than I was at the beginning of the day. Or it could be someone you know, who was ambulatory or able to walk without any sort of help. And now what they notice is they're relying on uh, either a handhold from someone or maybe they've started to do what we call wall walking or furniture walking, where they're bracing themselves in the home environment by keeping fingertips touching something at all times. Those are the sorts of decline in function that I'm speaking of. So anyone over the age of 65 who's experiencing any of those types of changes, or anyone 65 and older who has a known muscle weakness in the lower extremities. Uh, and so if you know that, you know, I, I have clients all the time who come in and say, you know, I, I'm doing okay, but Last year, I had a knee replacement and I did my therapy and it was great and I feel better, but I don't feel as good as I could be. I don't feel as strong as I could be. And so for those folks, getting them into an Otago program where it could just be a muscle weakness issue um, is a great way for them to feel like they can continue moving and have a program that is easy to follow and help maintain their strength and even improve their strength. Otago is also right for anyone who's 65 and older and has any balance impairment. And so that is something that, you know, for those folks who might be feeling a little unsteady or worried about a slip trip or near fall, uh, those people are also right for Otago. And one of the unique things about the Otago exercise program is anyone over the age of 80. So 
just being 80 and above without any decline, muscle weakness, or balance impairment, just over the age of 80, they can have a reduction in falls risk. And so it's not often in exercise that being older is a better thing. Uh, but with Otago, the research actually points to the fact that the older the client, the better the results they get. So again, just to summarize, you know, who is really right for Otago? Anyone who's 65 and older with a decline in function or a change in mobility, anyone 65 and older with muscle weakness or balance impairment, and anyone over the age of 80. I would also throw out that anyone who has sustained a fall is a great candidate for Otago. We would have liked to have gotten to them before they fell and have been able to provide this program, but having had a fall, Otago could be right for you as well. You might be wondering, well, what is Otago? I've talked about it a lot, but what is it? Uh, so the Otago program itself consists of individualized flexibility exercises, strengthening exercises, some balance activities, and a walking program. And each of those activities, the flexibility exercises, the strengthening exercises, balance and walking, are done three times a week. And one of the joys in Otago is you can do it in the home or the community. So prior to the pandemic, certainly there were home and community-based programs that were supporting Otago, and we were working with partners in the community to be able to support Otago, both in the home and the community. But what I've noticed as a clinician, certainly, is that with the pandemic, older adults have not been going out. Their doctors have been telling them to stay home and stay safe, and, and we support that from a healthcare perspective. But what we know is when people stop going and doing, they do develop some weakness and debility just from being home if they're not choosing to maintain that activity level. And so what we have found uh, with working with our community partners in home health and as a physical therapist myself, Otago is a program that can be done and, and done very well from a virtual platform. And is the Otago exercise program covered by Medicare or other insurance? Okay. So the Otago program is a skilled intervention that can be provided by physical or occupational therapists here in the United States. And so with that being said, yes, there is Medicare and third-party payer insurance coverage for Otago exercise program evaluation, prescription, and progression. And so I would tell folks that Otago itself doesn't cost money. Um, you know, you are asked to provide a pair of adjustable ankle weights. And actually at Marymount University through grant funding, we have some of those available. So if anyone's very interested in an Otago program and unable to get weights, reach out to me uh, and we can certainly get those for you. My email is jbender at marymount.edu. Uh, but the program itself does not cost money to enroll in, but there is the healthcare provider's payment that is required, but Medicare and third-party insurance does cover it so long as the individual does have a documented balance impairment. And I thought I heard you say that it was either a physical therapist or an occupational therapist that conducts the program. Am I correct? Yes. Primarily in the United States, it's going to be a physical therapist, though there are occupational therapists who are identifying this as a valuable program and they have a skill set that can also help to evaluate and prescribe balance training. And what we're seeing, though, is a push to try to get more community-run, community-involved engagement from other providers that may not fall under the true healthcare umbrella. Um, so I think of 
you know, wellness instructors in our rec facilities. And I think of personal trainers that may be working with a, a population of older adults. I think there is a pathway through further education and training in Otago where we can expand the scope of Otago prescription uh, and, and get to more people that way. So I'm excited to see how that, that goes and evolves in the future. I'm just curious overall, what would be the time span? Are we talking about once a week, several times a week, uh, several months? And, and then kind of taking it to the end point, what would be the expected outcomes? Would the folks still have to continue these exercises at home after they're no longer seeing the therapist? Kind of what, describe for us the kind of the timeline of, of what would be expected for older adults. Happy to. So as I mentioned, each of the activities is done three times a week. But if I back up, what typically happens in a usual course of Otago is that a client identifies that they would like to have an evaluation. So they can simply say, you know, I don't feel like I'm as strong as I want to be, or I don't feel like I have as good a balance as I want to be. And the therapist at that point will really take the reins and provide a thorough evaluation to identify what are the impairments that are keeping this person from doing what they want to do? And at that point, it is up to the physical therapist or the occupational therapist to recognize that there is, in fact, a balance impairment and that Otago may be a right fit for the person. Once they've identified that Otago is the path they'd like to take, then they will choose selected interventions or exercises from the program to give to the client. So that's when I mentioned that it's individualized. This is not a cookbook approach. Uh, as a physical therapist, we often don't like to utilize a cookbook approach. We want it to be very individualized and unique and meaningful to the person. And so the therapist with the patient will help to identify what are the activities within the program that are best for that client. And so the therapist and the patient will go through the selected exercises. The therapist will ensure that the client understands and is able to complete them in a safe manner. And then the client will be given a home program for Otago use. And so the idea is, is that the individual will complete the exercises three times a week. And that typically will take 30 minutes when they're doing their exercise. They will, if able, do the walking program as well. And the goal of that is also to work up to 30 minutes, two to three times a week. Now, where the therapist follows up and checks in is typically I will see a client for the eval. I will ensure that they understand the exercises and that they're capable of doing them. I will give them up to a week, but usually three to five days to practice, to work through them, to make sure that they're working and then I will touch back with them. So I will have a follow-up appointment to check and see that they're doing what they're supposed to and that if they have any questions, we can answer them. And after that initial check-in, I usually set up a once-a-week sort of progression uh, session so that we can look at how they're doing, keep track of progress. And this is a changing program. So it does not start and end the same way. It will evolve and look different. And part of that is that, you know, we're, we're progressing because the body requires a higher level of demand to keep making progress. And so typically for the first six weeks, I will be checking in on them once a week. At the six week mark, really we're looking in the US version of Otago to discharge them from a formal therapy program 
and really allow them to continue this home exercise program on their own, having the education, knowledge, and tools to carry it through. My hope is that my clients really have enjoyed the program and have seen the results of it, which is again, that reduction in falls risk, but also you see strength improvements, balance improvements, overall quality of life improvements. And so I'm hopeful that they've enjoyed that six week interval and see the benefits of it and choose to continue doing either Otago or maybe looking for another balance program if they feel like balance is still one of the things they're working on or it may be a springboard just to get them more actively involved in their community. So the goal, my long-term goal, is that after a six-week period where I'm really there ushering them through, cheerleading them on, and progressing the, the activities for them, they can then take this and really be their own leaders in carrying out an activity program that we know reduces their risk of falls. Well, that's very helpful. And uh, wow, um, this is a real testimonial for Otago uh, exercise program. I We're getting close to the end, but I just wanted to check back uh, and, and, and thank you uh, for that very helpful explanation. And we want to get how to uh, reach you at the end here. But Dr. Papa, I just wanted to check with you if there are any other exercise programs that are recommended for falls prevention besides Otago. I just wanted people to be aware in case they don't have access in wherever they Sure. So on the um, NCOA, which is National Council on Aging, on their website, they actually have a list of about 13 uh, evidence-based falls prevention programs. Um, here in Northern Virginia, we are implementing, in addition to Otago, we're implementing SAIL, which is more of a traditional aerobics class, which does have um, a strength and balance component to it. Um, the other program we're currently implementing is a matter of balance, uh, which because of COVID, a matter of balance is, is kind of on hold right now. Um, but uh, again, any you know, I always say any exercise program that has some strength and balance exercise in it is better than nothing. Um, and we, of course, want people to be as active as they can be. Um, and SAIL, which we are offering right now here in our area virtually, um, you can find information in the link on how to join that from your home um, on our website, novafallsprevention.com. And SAIL, is that an acronym? That stands for Stay Active and Independent for Life. Okay. Um, and again, it's a 55-minute program. We offer it twice a week. Um, and I also make uh, pre-recorded links available so that um, folks can do it on another day during the week if they prefer. So based on what we heard about Otago and now this, uh, is, is the uh, Northern Virginia Falls Alliance and the NCOA the only place that people can learn, older adults can learn about and enroll in exercise programs or what, what do they need to know? So certainly the CDC also has a lot of really good information. They have a program called STEADY, um, S-T-E-A-D-I, um, and they can look online for some additional falls prevention um, information. Um, there's Tai Chi classes out there. There's yoga um, and as I said, any, any program that really includes that strength and balance component um, is going to help people in terms of their, um, you know, lowering their risk. Um, local senior centers, community centers, even reaching out to your um, area agency on aging for information about what might be being my, well, excuse me, what might be offered in your own area. Um, but again, right now we're doing the virtual sale, which is open to everyone. 
um, who is interested in that class um, just have to go to our website and they can um, learn how to enroll. And one related question to that, Dr. Papa, it, does, do people have to have a doctor's order to participate in these programs? No, not at all. Uh, the sale and a matter of balance, um, you know, these are um, just general exercise classes. We do generally recommend that people, um, as anyone would, if you're starting a new or revised exercise program, you do want to check with a healthcare provider. Uh, but most of these programs, um, there's a there's sort of a self-screening tool that we sometimes use. Um, and we do recommend that people check with a healthcare provider if this is going to be something new for them. But they certainly don't need um, a doctor's order for that. Okay. And final quick question, any other resources that you would suggest for people just to learn about falls and how to prevent them? Again, I, I, I feel strongly our website has a lot of really good resources. And we also direct people to the those two other, the National Council on Aging, as well as the CDC. Uh, lots of great information for older adults, lots of great information for healthcare providers, um, home health aides, as well as family members. All right. Well, I want to thank Dr. Sarah Papa and Dr. Jade Bender-Burnett for joining me today. A lot of good information about falls. And if you want to listen to past radio programs and watch Aging Matters TV episodes, you can visit the facebook.com forward slash Aging Matters WERA website. There you can find the internet addresses to access both the radio shows and the TV episodes. And by the way, New information, although we've been sharing this now every week, Aging Matters Radio is now available as a podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. So listen, invite a friend, and and by the way, be sure to ask them to rate and review the program at these sites. The more top reviews we get, the more people will listen. So I also want to thank Robert Winship for handling the technical aspects of today's program. And thank you for listening to Aging Matters. And remember, age is just a number, not a label. I'll be back again with you next week. Aging Matters is sponsored in part by the Aging Life Care Association, an organization of aging life care professionals. Aging life care professionals offer guidance, advocacy, and support for older adults and their families in order to maximize quality of life. An aging life care professional can be there for your loved one when you can't be. More information about the Aging Life Care Association is available at www.midatlanticalca.org.